my background is in international development. So I spent about 15 years working on projects focused on poverty and food security in the global south. And actually, my PhD was in on the impact of fish farming on poverty in Ghana. So there was that kind of element of, um, well, what I would call now animal exploitation in my sort of professional background. Um, and then in once I'd started my PhD in 2000, I think it was 2010, um, on a, I was on a parallel journey in terms of exploring spirituality and questioning a lot of things in my life um, and really getting into mindfulness. Um, and uh, I realised that I couldn't, well, I, I started to see um, what, what or rather who I was eating. Um, I sort of felt like, mm. onion, like the layers of the onion were being peeled back somehow through this sort of journey of meditation and mindfulness. Um, and I could, you know, see sort of steaks and hamburgers as, as you know, what they really were, the corpses of, of animals who'd been tortured. So I went vegetarian. Um, and at this time, I was, like I said, I was doing my PhD. And so I was, um, you know, I was in, in Ghana collecting uh, data from farmers in the bush, fish farmers. And so I think there was a bit of a block for me to really kind of um, embrace veganism. I hadn't actually heard of veganism at this point, but as soon as I handed in my PhD, mm. um, I, I went vegan. I started really exploring, um, you know, the dairy and the egg industry and just kind of so much more um, than I think I had been allowed myself to be open to um, and realized it was all part of the same toxic violence system. So I went vegan in 2013 um, and slowly I kind of started to really realize, well, A, that I couldn't do the work that I was doing um, with my vegan ethic, but also I came to see development as a form of neo-colonialism. So there was sort of big existential crises mm. going on. Um, and so I was really, um, really trying to kind of extract myself um, from my career, I suppose. Um, and mm. I think that that sort of happened around 2016, 2017. And in the meantime, I'd set up something called Veterinary Vegan Network with my partner, who's a vegan vet, um, to try and bring, you know, that world together. Um, and we'd also set up something called Ethical Globe. And I started blogging, um, and partly because um, once I had kind of given up um, the development career, I actually spent six months in bed reading, trying to um, kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together because in the in the development um, world I'd you know been really involved with how to overcome human oppression in the form of poverty and food insecurity and then with the veganism I was really exploring animal oppression and also the links with our destruction of the natural world and so I was I had had the opportunity then um, you know to kind of really uh, join connect the dots between all of these issues um, and I started writing about them um, as a way to kind of educate myself, but also kind of put my ideas out mm. there. And I got to the point where I realized that sort of veganism for me wasn't enough. And I re and we really needed structural change because so many of these issues are connected um, and they're connected structurally. Um, and I, I really sort of felt gosh, we need, we need a, a social movement in order to make this structural change. Um, and along the same time, I met um, Dan Kidby, who is one of the co-founders of Animal Rebellion and also a co-founder of Animal Think Tank. And he had been um, 
he'd been talking to somebody called Mark Westcombe, and all all of us were kind of thinking that social movements were the way forward. They were they were way ahead of me. They had already you know done so much uh, research and had lots of experiences in mm. um, in activism that I hadn't had. Um, but basically, um, the three of us decided to co-found something called Animal Think Tank, um, which uh, is a big part of my my work at the moment. And that is an organisation that is building a mass movement for animal freedom in the UK, um, because we were all convinced that structural change was really needed and social movements were the way forward. While I was writing and blogging, I also had the opportunity um, to co-edit a book on the food system. My father is an expert in sustainable agriculture um, and he'd been asked by an academic publisher to publish a book and edit a book on conservation agriculture, which is a plant-based actually form of regenerative Mm. farming. Um, Not ideologically so, but by default it's plant-based. And he said, and he asked me if I wanted to co-edit it with him. And I said, I I wasn't interested on a really narrow book on sustainable agriculture. I wanted to bring all these other pieces together animal oppression, human oppression, and our destruction of the natural world. Mm. Um, and so alongside this journey, we, we also did that and brought together some really amazing progressive academics, activists, um, and authors, um, and published a book um, in 2020 called Rethinking Food and Agriculture, New Ways Forward. There's so much there, honestly. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. It's almost like where where yeah. to start. <laughs> I, 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 I'd love to go right back mm. though, because it it sounds like that that previous career. Mm. And then you mentioned there's kind of like the six months in bed, and there's the the kind of the spiritual awakening, yeah. and there's the kind of. Uh, veganism isn't enough and these kind of aspects like it all all sounds like almost there was a a bit of a cathartic moment and a questioning and a everything I knew before is now in question how did that moment sort of feel did it did it feel like that at the time or is that kind of something that you can see looking back I think it's very much something I can see looking back and when you know when I have to put this all in a five minute kind of how did you get here it sounds quite dramatic (laughs) but um I think to be honest I think I've been questioning for for a really really long time and even when I went into development Mm. Every place I worked, I was like, there's something not quite right here. Let me go somewhere else. And so there's there's been this, and, and again, I'd find something else that wasn't really sitting right, and then let me go somewhere else. Um, so I think there's been a theme of questioning um, the status quo and how things have always been done and, and those sorts of things um, throughout my life in many areas. Um, but I think, I mean, when I think of the kind of dramatic moment that really kind of shifted everything for me, um, I I was on a project um, in Sierra Leone. I was sitting. It was such a cliche. I was sitting in a five star hotel with my very well meaning, well intentioned colleagues, and we were talking about poverty over you know steak and, and and you know that that kind of. And I just thought I can't I can't do this anymore. And I think that realization or that moment that felt so visceral in my body in terms of I can't do this anymore and I can't do the fish farming stuff anymore. Um, felt quite it was there there was so much clarity there it's like I I went home and I was like I can't do this anymore so there was that kind of um, sort of I guess moment of of realization and and yeah that six months was a very kind of cathartic um, it was such a relief actually that I could kind of step back and Mm. 
um, you know, I've always wanted to live my life in line with my values and then having my values evolve in the way that they have so dramatically with veganism and, and that whole journey. Um, you know, it was actually a real massive privilege for me to be able to actually just step back. Most people don't have that that privilege to be able to do that. But um, mm. yeah, I think it took that six months of actually sort of make, making sense of all of the, the, the spiritual journey, the professional journey, the veganism, um, and trying to kind of come up with maybe even a new worldview, really, or, or my own personal philosophy. Mm. Um, so yeah, that six months was very therapeutic. <laughs> um, for, for many people, and I, I, I think if I put myself in that, try and put myself in that position, I, I think, uh, you know, and I suppose all, all people who've come to veganism who weren't born there, mm-hmm. uh, which is most people, uh, probably have an element of that. There's a, a, there's a bit of a sort of almost a traumatic experience mm-hmm. of like my everything I knew up till this point yeah. was one way. And there's a feeling of like deception and, you know, being lied to and being part of a, I suppose the analogy a lot of people use is like the matrix and all those kind of things, uh, which, uh, which I know is like a really handy one and it gets used a lot in all sorts of different, uh, uh, in all sorts of different contexts. And I'm always a, a little bit nervous of using it because I think it's sort of used a lot in conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff. But th- this is an example where it sort of does feel like that to, to us who've gone through that period. But it sounds like, action came quite quickly in that period of time from you for you. you you didn't stay long in that period of uh of trauma it was almost right okay i, I need to now take a step forward um did, did was that how it felt at the time and uh, and again is that a looking back kind of reflection yeah i mean i think it was I mean, I think in that six, so in that six, that sort of that six months that felt very important, I was kind of like, it was very much like, I don't know what's going to come in terms of any of this, because Mm. it was both career and sort of, you know, in that period as well, I think I realised that my purpose in life was to do something for the animals. Like that was a really big kind of Mm -hmm. realisation during that time. And I think once I'd really sort of realised that and accepted that, it was like, yes, I have to do something and and um and I often think about action as the antidote to despair and so when you're talking about the trauma and the mm. and the grief and the rage and all of those things um you know the only way that I can sort of think about keeping that at bay is to channel that energy into action and um, I think, you know, my journey is probably very similar to many people's journeys. You know, it started off as, okay, well, I'll start advocating veganism. Um, and it's kind of, you know, that one-on-one personal change and, you know, getting angry at my family for not yeah. being vegan. Luckily, my sisters went vegan around the same time. <laughs> but, you know, my parents and then my friends and then and yeah. then realising that that's not enough and kind of, you know, sort of working yeah. with others and then setting up an organisation. And it's kind of like been this whole um, kind of, uh yeah this this journey but I have to say I've not I didn't plan any of it it's all just kind of it's like there there was like the (laughs) internal nudge to do the next thing and the next thing and then suddenly you look back and it's like wow you know it's been quite the journey um so I I yeah so action was very much part of I think part of just how I am but um there was no real thought or planning um that went into any of it (laughs) I'm sad to say thinking of that that notion of like uh, action as an antidote to despair and veganism almost not being not being enough do you think there's a danger in the way that sort of 
veganism is quote unquote trendy or like it's being commercialized mm. in a way do you think there's a danger of uh, a sort of a comfort with it yeah. now that can lead to inaction and it being more of a, a label and a kind of a well i'm now vegan so the job's done uh, i don't need to do anything else like i'm i'm you know sort of there's a piety to yeah. it which is dangerous yeah. for us in terms of that action piece i think i think you're absolutely right there is, well i well i don't know if that's what you think but that sounds like it is from the question yeah. um <laughs> it yeah, is. yeah. No, I, <laughs> it was very loaded <laughs> that's a very leading question do you think this um <laughs> it was yeah yeah i think i think there's a couple of things that come up for me there there's one which is um i do think individual change and I, i'd love to talk about this a bit more um you know, the, the ecology of social movements framework that we use at Animal Think Tank. Mm. So um, the individual change, so for us, the sort of the veganism is so important on so many levels. Um, and as I said, it's I don't feel like it's enough. And I think there is a danger with people thinking that, yeah, that's enough. And also I think the real danger for me f- feels like we channel so much energy into you know, being the perfect vegan and, you know, just focusing on the individual. And I think this is a, um, and then that, the, the sort of the energy that we could put into collective action, which, you know, obviously I think is so needed. It's like the energy is directed, I think, in the, in the less sort of less effective place. But I also think that, um, you know, the vegan movement, like most, like any movement has been kind of co-opted by, capitalism um and you know we live in a neoliberal kind of you know economic system where the focus is on the individual and i think and and that we can somehow make moral progress by you know being better consumers and i think that is such a fallacy and it really serves capital Mm. um and you know corporations it doesn't serve um you know sort of wider society and the animals um because veganism is is on the rise um but so is you know the number of animals being slaughtered um in the uk and globally you know mm. that you know the demand for the flesh and secretions of other animals is increasing year on year so it's clearly not enough um to 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 focus just on the individual part of it but it's so important for cult- the cultural change um so i i don't want to dismiss you know the focus on veganism it's kind of like um both we need both and yeah i think this you've far more eloquently summed up something that i've sort of wrestled with for some time about uh you know when i see like sort of quote-unquote vegan news outlets uh heralding say burger king uh with a with a new uh, line as like this is progress and i and i really struggle with that as a concept like that that's that's progress because i kind of think there's far i don't know if it is progress at all i feel it it's like they can see that there's a five percent share or one percent share or whatever that's over there and it's just another product line that's going to take that share and there's also an element of well we know that that vegan kept stopping the other five people that they were out with uh from going to burger king (laughs) so in very simplistic terms so if if we give the vegan something they'll bring the other five back um because we know that they you know those people have such a you know 
us as vegans have such a sway in our social groups because we're the only problem who's we're the only person who's got the problem if you like who needs to be taken somewhere else so i, I really struggle with that as a sort of progress um and I, I just see it increasingly kind of shared and reshared and reposted and i see that getting such traction that these companies are uh are progressing veganism and i think I just really, it's less of a question, more of a music restatement, I guess, of what you were saying. Um, but but I, I really sort of feel a struggle with it. Well, I share, I share that. It really resonates. And I think this is one of the downsides of um, sort of looking at veganism purely in a kind of apolitical kind of sense because, and, and not really understanding the connections mm. between, um, however you want to phrase it, whether it's different forms of oppression or just kind of, you know, the injustice that's in society in all mm. aspects of society. And, you know, one of the one of the, the reasons I think that we're in such a mess is because of the corporate food system and Burger King and McDonald's and all of those are very much part of that. And, you know, I, I, I struggle to celebrate um, these sort of, sort of wins because I'm like, those corporations are the ones that are actually killing billions of animals those corporations are the ones that are um, polluting our waterways, um, you know, perpetrating, you know, the first mass extermination um, that is that we are living through. And, and so many of the things that are happening um, that are causing such, like, terrifying impacts on the world. Um, and, yeah, this is – it's a profit motive. It's There's nothing moral about it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. we can just get this extra, you know, share of the market and, and – yeah. And again, at the same time, I'm like, well, we also do have to think about the barriers to veganism. Um, and it does mm. make, you know, veganism a bit easier. But yeah, that's, I have to say, that's not something that, that makes, that, that I celebrate. Um, no. no. <laughs> and I think there's, there's another aspect as well. And, and in other social justice movements, I feel like people are quite politically savvy and really understand a lot of the ways that different, um, uh, different, issues kind of interact and intersect and enable and compound each other and I I sometimes wonder whether the vegan movement it's like people kind of bypass a lot of the political education um, and and kind of go straight to a form of consumer veganism Um, and I I do wonder if Mm. you know how much of that is happening and so actually the systems are not really changing Um, we're just kind of you know, working within the existing systems without really trying to kind of change the underlying forces. Um. And I wonder whether that's because, unlike most other social movements, you can't come to come to those social movements because of your health. Yeah. <laughs> if you see what yeah. I mean, you can't come to them because of for other reasons. Yeah. If 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 you know what I mean. Whereas, uh, or you're unlikely to. Whereas with with veganism we sort of we use those tactics in the sort of community i say we as the sort of the 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 big the big we of vegan of the of veganism but we we use those tactics like you know here's the game changers documentary for example and that's obviously going to bring people in at a different angle that may have never thought politically in my most optimistic moments whether it be the burger king news or the 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 sort of the game changers route in i view it as uh, a trojan horse yes. <laughs> you know like <laughs> it brings people in and then we can talk about different things and different issues yeah. and, and wider connections yeah. and, I, and i've seen that happen for so many people that they've come in um through various mm. means and then it kind of opens up 
this whole new world of information and kind of awareness about the animals. Um, and I, I think there's another thing that's coming up for me. Um, when we focus on veganism, it's like we're focusing on, and, and in a way we're kind of doing it now between the two of us, we're focusing on <laughs> humans and our lifestyle choices when actually yeah. the movement is a movement for the freedom of other animals. Um, and so when we, when we, you know, this is another, I guess, downside from my perspective of the focus on, on veganism. It's like, yeah, we center, we still are centering ourselves and what our choices in a movement that's not about us. Um, and I think that's a really, that's been quite, that was part of my journey as well. It's like, God, all my conversations are about, you know, what are you eating? And I'm, and on one level, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care because it's not about that. It's about the animals. It's not about like my diet, but if, obviously it's so interconnected. But um, so, I, yeah, I think even the framing of the vegan movement is, is it makes it hard to then talk about the real sort of victims of the system. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and and I think as as humans, we're we're probably never going to get away from that completely. Like we have to, we have to talk yeah. about these things. Uh, we do talk about these things. We are human centered, but you know, we you're you're absolutely right to have it in our our minds. I think and not run away with it is important. I think if we run away with it, we sort of run into the hands of uh of those sort of powers that we you know we talked about you know the neoliberalism the individual uh, individualistic culture yeah. uh, so on and so forth kind of relies upon us uh staying in that world and never coming yeah. out of it yeah. um um and just obsessing over yeah. it so yeah I'm, I'm totally with you in terms of that betwixt and between mm -hmm. and, and yeah i'm sort of very aware we're, we're in a sort of a bit of an incept a vegan inception yeah. kind of conversation <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in talking about it um, but <laughs> so on that mm -hmm. note uh animal think mm -hmm. tank let, let's talk about that so wh when did the sort of seed of inspiration for that come from and and tell us a little bit about the organization for folks yeah, who don't know so a bit of the story um I mean it depends actually who you ask because we were all looking at it from different from our own perspectives but um so there were three co-founders um myself Mark Westcombe Dan Kidby um and each of us you know I think I mentioned we were kind of on our own journeys um and um one of the I think important pieces of the story was um uh, Mark had been reading this book called Bury the Chains about um, the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade and kind of had an epiphany that, that we needed to do this for the animals um, in terms of building a social movement. Um, Dan had come from the, a sort of background of um, Occupy LSC and a sort of activist background, but also uh, um, he'd been studying law. Um, so he had also, um, yeah, he, he was also looking to build a social movement um, for other animals. And, you know, then there was me on my own journey that we've talked about. And so um, I think the the inspiration and the will to do something um, to build a kind of, yeah, to build this mass movement or a network or something was there um, between Mark and Dan. And they had been talking about it for about six months before I came on the scene. Um, and then I think when I joined, it was kind of like, right, we're a team now. Let's kind of get a bit more serious in terms of conceptualizing what it is that we want to do. And so we uh, there was actually, I think, a period of maybe, I don't know, nine to 12 months where I would um, go and visit them in Lancaster one, sort of once a month and we would sit in Mark's living room and we'd conceptualise and we would do workshops and we'd chat about the things that we'd been reading and really kind of, yeah, um, I guess deepen our knowledge and our shared understanding about what it is that we were trying to do. Um, and then, you know, we also thought that we would be 
you know, we would work three days a week and then we would do Animal Think Tank three days a week as volunteers. And, you know, we're really kind of martyring ourselves. Um, and then in 2019, um, Mark and I went to um, the Animal Liberation Conference, which is the, uh, the, a conference that um, Direct Action Everywhere holds um, every year in, in Berkeley. Um, and we met some funders there who, one in particular, who was kind of like, you've got to get serious. You, you, you need to become a proper organization and you need to do this full time. So I think that was a real kind of inflection point for us. It was like, okay, this is, we're going to do this full time, um, and sort of go the route of getting funding, etc. Um, and then, and I think it really sort of took off at the end of kind of 2019, early 2020, I became full time in March, 2020. And, you know, we got an office, we hired people, um, we really set about um, building the, the foundations of, of the organisation, you know, our culture, our governance, all of those sorts of things, because we were quite clear that we wanted to be an organisation that lasted. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the real mission for us was um, or is to build this a mass movement or to help to build a mass movement for animal freedom in the UK. And the reason that we kind of came to that, I've talked about the importance of structural change, but we use this concept called the Ecology of Social Movements Framework. Um, and, it, and it talks about, you know, when you look back at past successful social justice movements, you realise that there are individuals, groups and organisations using different theories of change, different approaches or different strategies to making change. We've talked about the individual transformation or personal transformation. There's also um, an aspect of the ecology of building or creating alternatives. So for us, that's, you know, sanctuaries, veganic farms, plant-based meat. Um, and then there's a part of the ecology which is about changing the dominant institutions that shape society. So in our case, it would be like corporations and governments. And you can do that from the inside through lobbying and party politics, or you can do that from the outside through mass protest movements and through community organising. And when we looked at the UK movement, we really felt that there was a gap with the kind of people-powered outside game. Um, and, you know, when you look at sort of um, past social justice movements and you look at the movement cycle often it is the mass protest that kind of disruptive um, action that really um, pushes the movement into a kind of takeoff phase because it kind of it, you know, the idea is that that, that mass protest or that, that, the, that campaigning, that collective action is really geared to shifting the Overton window, shifting what is, you know, acceptable, thinkable, um, even a, you know, policy option um, and, and creates the conditions for the rest of the ecology to kind of do more and to be more radical and for other organisations to pop up. So that was some of the thinking behind it. Um, and we take great inspiration from a book that I often talk about called This is an Uprising by Paul and Mark Engler. And if any of you, uh, any of your listeners are interested in, you know, social movements and how social movements have been successful in the past, this is such an inspiring book. And it looks at the civil rights movement, the Indian independence movement, um, the student movement in um, Serbia called Otpor that overthrew Milosevic. Um, so many, uh, you know, the freedom to marry movement, so many of these movements, and they've come up with something called momentum driven organizing, which is a way of 
um, building mass protest movements, but in a way that they don't just kind of come up as a flash in the pan and then disappear, but that the momentum can really be absorbed in sort of strong and decentralized organizational structures. So we're using that methodology that's sort of laid out in the book um, as our kind of yeah blueprint, I suppose, of how to build a social movement. Because who's really built a social movement before? I didn't even know it was possible um, until, you know, until I met Mark and Dan and started reading. And I was just used to go on pro and like be a participant. I would go on marches and then realize that nothing had happened and feel a bit despondent. But um, mm. it never occurred to me, you know, that, that I or any of us could be the people that actually can create the structures for mass participation. And um, so that's, yeah, that's a bit of a roundabout way of talking about Animal Think Tank. No, there isn't really a sort of an IKEA guide <laughs> to uh, social movements. Right. Uh, it you, you mentioned about uh, organisations popping up and uh, sort of decentralised mm. and and they're being you know uh, feeding off each other yeah. in a way was the kind of the, the imagery yes. I took from that. And it, it what jumped into my mind was obviously Animal Rebellion, mm. which I'd like to talk about in terms of your uh, involvement with that organisation. But then I, I kind of think about their attachment to Extinction Rebellion and then that sort of sends me off into Just Stop Oil and uh, Insulate Britain. And all, and it makes me think about this kind of like general mm. uprising of movements all at the same yeah. time with slightly different names but pretty similar goals. Um, not di- uh, Many of those not directly connected with, you know, you wouldn't describe those as kind of animal liberi- liberation organisations, yeah. but they're sort of a general... Adjacent, um, and there's a connection when we think about six mass extinction and you know the habitats of yeah. those animals and so on and so forth. So it'd be good to sort of uh, sort of get your view on the context of yeah. all of that because uh, uh, my reading is that that's all going on together and that's all what you're mm. talking about. But it would be good to good to get mm. your view. So, well, what was coming up for me when you were talking was that I sort of often think that so we talk about the animal freedom ecology, but I think it's overlaid with an environmental kind of movement ecology. Um, and another overlap for me is kind of the food movement um, ecology. So they've, they've got their own kind of things going on, but there's so much overlap. And I, I sort of think that if we, you know, there's probably 90% of the things that all movements would agree with as being important um, up to probably, I don't know, factory farming, and then things get more complicated after that. Um, mm. So I think they're very related. Um, and I also think that, I mean, it's been really interesting um, to, to firstly be part of, but also to watch um, the growth of Extinction Rebellion, um, especially in the early days, um, and how that, I feel like that's kind of um, given a big boost to a lot of movements in terms of, oh, look at what's possible. And it's kind of activated a whole group of people that kind of, you know, weren't active before. Um, and I, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I know do activism with Animal Rebellion and Just Stop Oil and were involved in Insulate Britain. And so there's so much, mm. as you were saying, overlap. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the issues are so interconnected. Um, and I think, you know, you asked about Animal Rebellion um, and, you know, there's a story about how, you know, how it started. And again, it's that, you know, the different people have different perspectives depending on, you know, where they were in, in that story. Um, but, you know, a few people saw, including Dan, who's one of the co-founders of Animal Think Tank, Dora, as well, who you said that um, you've interviewed before, and Roger Hallam, who um, mm-hmm. was a co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, who had, um, a, you know, a very good and previous relationship with Dan, um, you know, before any of 
before any of this started, um, that there was a strategic, you know, all of these people and many more, I'm sure, saw that there was a strategic opportunity to, to push forward the animal message in the, in the environmental movement and in the opportunities that came out of Extinction Rebellion. And, you know, their first rebellion, um, you know, wasn't as, as, as um, big, obviously, as their second rebellion in April, where they, I think, I think mm. it was April 2019, and they mobilised 6,000 people over 10 days and really put them on the map. Um, and so I think um, these opportunities um, are really important to take advantage of for the kind of animal movement and not just sort of be in our silos. Um, and I think Animal Rebellion, you know, has done such a great job, not only of disrupting the the message of Extinction Rebellion to actually include, you know, other animals. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but in the early days, Extinction Rebellion wouldn't say anything mm. about plant-based diets or um, veganism or animals, Um and now I see them, play, you know, they, they're, you know, they're really elevating animal rebellion and their protests and um, often, po well, sometimes post um, about plant-based um, diets and the plant-based food system. And, and I'm just like that in itself, it's, for me, feels like such a win. But also, um, I think animal rebellion has been able to kind of take advantage of some of the infrastructure that Extinction Rebellion had put in place in terms of, um, you know, how to go about setting up groups, mass trainings or, or you know, a, a lot of things that they could that kind of was able they were able to kind of um hit the ground running in a way because a lot of those things were kind of already in place um so yeah there's so much potential for joining um and, and being aligned with other movements yeah, I, i'm just uh curious when we when we talk about these sort of decentralized organizations and there being loads of them and there being an overlap and uh you know sharing some of the the tactics and some of the approach and almost i guess there'd be an element of an identity uh overlap mm. as well in certain cases where if i ask the average person on the street they might be able to they might not know the difference between x organization yeah. and y organization and it it just makes me think about the tactics the individual mm. like localized tactics that are, that are used and um when those tactics i guess i guess how those tactics are like um what's the what's the best way to describe it but how they're made uh uniform or at least conforming to uh the end goal like d for example, like the milk poor <laughs> protest uh, was one that I had on recently and we talked about uh, with, with Animal Rebellion and I appreciate that's not necessarily animal think tanks mm. work directly. Um, so I'm asking you to talk about something that's, that's not yours. But, but, but thinking about that as a, as a tactic, I know in the sort of the quote unquote sort of vegan community, there was lots of back and forth and debate and to mm. and fro as, as to whether that was a, a good approach or not. And is that like a... I, I guess do you see that as as positive regardless because that you know the 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 clicks are the most important mm. the discussion is the most important thing the tactics are almost secondary oh there's so much in that sort of on a meta level when I when you know that was coming up for yeah. me so one is um you know there's this concept of action logic um which I think you're getting at is kind of like how congruent is the action with you know, the thing mm -hmm. that you're trying to change. I mean, like sitting in the road could be, you know, related to so many different things or nothing at all. In fact, um, it doesn't actually, you know, the yeah. logic of that particular action doesn't necessarily tell you what it's about. Um, and I think that this is a really important um, thing. So 
um, you know, being able to do tactics and, and actions and campaigns really with that logic in mind is so important. And we often talk about um, the need to show, not tell. Um, and so it, it should be really clear in an ideal world, if, you know, if you're doing like the perfect kind of action, it should be very clear from um, from the tactics that you use, what, the, what what actually the story is, what is it that you're trying to draw attention to. Mm. Um, so that's that's one thing, um, and I'm not an expert in this at all. You know, we've been uh, uh, you know <laughs> sitting in you know behind our computers doing research, and and you know it's it's so it's so much easier to talk about this yeah, um, sure. in the abstract than actually when you're responsible for doing it. So I, I don't want to. Um, that's just one concept that feels important. Um, I think uh, ta- you know one of the one of the ways to build momentum, a really important way to build momentum. Um, and what, what these groups are trying to do is trying to push the issue out into the public consciousness because they have, you know, the, these conflicts and tensions are there. It's just that, you know, society is not looking at them. And so the role mm. of the sort of protest movement or, you know, direct action group is to be able to push it out so that people have to look at it and take a stand and say, yeah, OK, I'm either for or against. Um, so tactics have to be disruptive. Um, and disruption is mm. going to annoy people. Um, and even the people who are supposedly, you know, on your side. Um, but yeah. um, the, when we look at, um, for example, there's a slide that I often use um, when I do talks on our theory of change. Um, and it's kind of looking at public opinion about um, the freedom rights um, in the civil rights movement. And um, and this was a very successful campaign, but the majority of people, the majority of black people were like, this is not good, right? They, they were against it. So, but mm. the thing is that I think this shows that people can be kind of against your tactics, but they can still then be for your cause. Um, so I think, you know, mm. and I have so much respect for activists who go out and do things which are disruptive because they know that they're going to be unpopular, but they, they, it's kind of like they're sacrificing themselves for the, for the cause. Um, and of course, you yeah. know, it, it's, we're never going to really know beforehand whether a tactic is going to be successful or if it's going to push the needle or not. It's like we have to try and see what happens and, and learn from it. And I think the process processes that we use... Um, often a sort of, you know, to learn and reflect and get better and improve over time are so important. And I, you know, I remember in the first rebellion of Animal Rebellion, how difficult it was to pull off a really good action because, you know, there wasn't so much experience. And now how brilliant they are in, in like disrupting mm. and building those bamboo structures. And, and I'm just like, there's so much growth and learning that's happened. Um, and I think that's kind of all that we can really do. And I would say to people who are kind of inclined to say, God, you know, you're making vegans look bad or this is bad for the cause, to kind of think about the bigger picture and the theory of change. You know, um, a lot of people were really against the soup throwing um, of Just Stop Oil um, at at the Van Gogh sunflower paintings. And yet, you know, Phoebe, one of the activists, ended up on Newsnight not long afterwards. And she really was able to eloquently, you know, share um, the the perspective and get people to think about the hundred, um, you know, fossil fuel licenses that the government was about is about to kind of grant. Um, so, you know, disruptive tactics work um, if what we're trying to do is get the message out into the into the public consciousness and to get, you know, mainstream media to be writing about it. And the fact that people are talking about it is success um, on on yeah. one level. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. 
And those sort of organisations, I guess, like news outlets, etc., who would sow the seeds of doubt in people's mm. mind would make people feel like, well, that's not the right way to go mm. about it. You know, that is their end goal, ultimately. Yes. They are, they're trying to, trying to stop you from thinking about that in a positive yeah. way um so so you know i guess the, the, like you say there being debate uh is is a good thing and then when I, I suppose we think about um like the social media impressions that something like those those uh, those protests that we just talked about uh they had you know that's starting to put the almost sort of democratize the uh, the narrative yeah you know it's it's out there in the public domain and it's not being held by whoever it may be gb news or channel five or sky or whoever yeah. else uh would like to just paint these people as uh you know uh, mindless kind of hip- hippies l- looking to disrupt everyone's life <laughs> you know that th- there's a deeper yeah. message to it so yeah i i, I think you you're absolutely right and uh, look, having spoken to steve uh, from the milkpool protest recently uh you, you, that the thing that resonates is that personal sacrifice mm-hmm. element as well you know like that somebody puts themselves in that position because they believe in a in a far bigger uh, a bigger mission than themselves yeah. and their own personal sort of likability etc and actually he, he was talking some weeks out from the the event uh, people were starting to come around to it even like you said those who were against the tactics started to understand the logic behind yeah. it um and so yeah it, it does all seem that when we look at these things in the moment they feel uh, inflammatory when we look at them slightly yeah. out they seem, you know, slightly further out. They seem uh, actually pretty mm-hmm. rational. And then I suppose when we look at it in the in the sort of in the historic context, sometime forward, hopefully we'll be looking back at it as well. That was those were the kind of things that started these these movements and gave them momentum. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely absolutely right. You know, Martin Luther King was really unpopular when he was alive. It's only in in you know years <laughs> later that we like herald him as some you know amazing person. Um, and I think you know. I think this element of sacrifice is, is really important and, and often we talk about um, the more disruptive actions that you're doing, the more sac- the more the element of sacrifice is important because sacrifice um, inspires empathy in people and also it kind of, it, it sort of activates something. It's like, um, gosh, if these people are, are really willing to put their bodies and their lives and their freedoms or whatever it is on the mm. line, there must be something to this. Um, and so I think... There's there's a lot of um, important dynamics that go on with with actions, both in dis- with disruption and sacrifice. Um, and and you know when I when I looked when I see the milk pour the milk spilling and the soup throwing, you know my instinctive visceral reaction is like, oh my goodness. But that's the point, you know. It's, even though I know the theory, it's like, but I think that's the point. It's trying to disrupt mm. our normal kind of you know just sleepwalking off a cliff as far as I'm concerned and 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 um and you know the point of these actions is really to dramatize the injustice so you know in many ways these actions are political theater um so yeah they have to be dramatic Mm. they have to be a bit ott in order to be able to get people's attention um so yeah the fact that people have all these different reactions I think is it means that they're doing something and I think the last thing to say is that the idea of these actions in many ways is to kind of, is to polarise, it's to kind of, um, you know, like I said, mm. to kind of ask people, you know, which side are you on? And ideally, 
uh, we want positive polarization. So to move more people over to the side of the cause than it does, you know, push people away. Because um, it's always going to push people away. Um, but it's it, we're trying to push more people to move from sort of being passive allies to or neutral to be you know to take to, to also take action yeah so obviously that's the sort of the disruptive the action side of things and like you say the political theater but sort of alongside that needs to become something substantive that sort of follows like here is a here is a kind of a, an actual set of actionable yeah. um policies <clears throat> and so on that that can be uh can yeah. be put into place yeah. uh, and so i'd like to talk about the book if oh, that's yeah. okay because that seems like that sort of fits into that that kind of yeah. category um and it sort of um i guess what resonates with me is I had a conversation with uh, Dr. Alex Lockwood some time ago who was working on uh, a project alongside the Vegan Society. And we had a sort of a, a conversation about this then that, you know, uh, on, on the one hand, you've got the kind of animal rebellion piece, the kind of mass protest piece, uh, the hearts and minds. And on the other hand, you ha you then have to sort of be able to offer something mm. up as, OK, well, here's mm. the change. This is what this looks like. So it'd be great to talk mm. about the book if that's OK. Well, just before we talk about the book, I wanted to say so um, and I think you've touched on this or you, you, you underst you've understood this it's like the, there's the different parts of the ecology are kind of responsible for different things if we use this framework and so for the mass protest is kind of like pushing it out into the public consciousness creating the conditions then for the people who are skilled in developing policy and have relationships with kind of you know MPs or the decision makers um, to then be able to push forward their agenda, whether it's legislation or regulation or, or whatever it is. So, um, uh, and um, I think with with social movements as well, it's important not just to be against something and, and as you say, it's like offer up the solution. So it's not mm. just ending dairy, it's also we need to rewild um, and that's kind of a big part of the solution. Um, yeah, so the book, um, well, I wouldn't say that it's a whole set of policy recommendations, but it really is, um, <laughs> you know, I often say that it's it's the book that I wanted to read and I couldn't find. You know, I was reading, you know, really amazing books that went deep into, you know, animal rights um, and animal liberation and then, you know, human oppression and development and, and environmental things. But, you know, the environmental books never included other animals in the way that I wanted them to. The sort of human oppression, same with human oppression stuff, it sort of it wouldn't include the animals. So I wanted, um, you know, something that would bring all of those pieces together. Um, and and also look at kind of the roots of what is wrong with our current system and sort of going back more than 10,000 years because I think that is so I well I personally find it very like personally very interesting but also it, it feels mm. um, like if we don't really understand the origins of you know speciesism and how we've domesticated other animals and how that actually led to so many other things in terms of social stratification and so many other types of oppression. Like, you know, that's not a part of the story that I ever hear other than from uh, people no. in, in the sort of, uh, a few people in the animal movement. So, um, yeah, that, the idea was to bring all of that together. And also I, I would say, you know, I've just said sort of the environmental and human oppression stuff doesn't include animals, but I often think that a lot of the stuff that I read around sort of in the animal sphere um, doesn't really have that much knowledge or understanding of um, the type of, um, for example, agriculture that we would, that would be, could be part of the solution. And I've mentioned conservation agriculture um, previously. Um, and it's kind of a case of, oh, well, we just need a, 
we just need to stop um, animal agriculture. But industrial crop agriculture is pretty horrific as well, and it's also contributing to so much mm. destruction. So it's kind of like, yeah, the book really was an attempt to bring a lot of these um, ideas into one place. Um, and not all of the authors were vegan because, you know, there's a lot of expertise outside of the vegan movement or the animal movement. Um, but I knew that we would have the last word and the last chapter in terms of bringing it all together. So, um, and we, we sort of, we, you know, we put four, so we, it's called Rethinking Food and Agriculture, New Ways Forward. So half the book is really about, okay, what are the roots of the, of the crises and what's wrong with the current system? Um, but then, you know, half of the book is really about what are the ways forward? What are the new paradigms of agriculture, political economy and nutrition? So plant-based diets and plant-based food system that um, that need to be part of or with the basis of a future food system. Because often academic books, I find, are really good at deconstructing what the problem is. And then you've got this sort of 10-page conclusion saying, oh, you know, a few, a few recommendations. And it's like, no, most of us know what the problems are. We, want, we need to know what to do about it. So um, that that was kind of the aspiration um, and we ended up with you know distilling a lot of the lessons in all of the different chapters and all of the different sectors into a framework that we called inclusive responsibility um, and uh, as, uh, you know it's, it's not like a blueprint for how to change things it's more like a set of I guess principles um, mm. which where, where there could be lots of different visions kind of within that but um, you know is our, our food system needs to you know um, be applicable to smallholders so that's like against the corporate food regime it needs to um, also you know include uh, you know other animals um, and the planet in sort of a, a kind of uh, concept well yeah the rights of nature for example so lo lots of different sort of principles there were six um and i think what we came to at the end of the book was kind of like actually all of these things are all of this terrible stuff that's happening is really reflecting a crisis in values and ethics um and that was what we kind of thought that really needed to shift from sort of you know, sort of values or principles of competition, individualism, extraction, materialism, all of that to, um, you know, universal human values um, like love and compassion and equity and care. Um, and I suppose the framework of inclusive responsibility then builds on this other set of values that we wanted to put forward. It's a holistic framework that really addresses, um, you know, the new paradigms of agriculture, political economy and nutrition that we want to put forward as part of the future food system. Um, and we also came up with a kind of, well, it's a bit wordy, um, but the paradigm of, of agriculture that we kind of, it was kind of distilling all the best part, bits of, of different, um, different paradigms that we'd been exploring in the book. Um, and I think we called it conservation, agriculture-based, veganic agroecology. Um, so that was, that's kind of the paradigm that we think um, would be a really important way forward. And just to say a little bit about conservation agriculture, it's, um, you know, one of the things that feels really important to me is that we, when we talk about, like, we need to put, as you said, we need to put a vision of forward of what we think our food system and our broader sort of what system needs to um, sort of uh, to be like. 
um, rather than just saying what we don't want. And we often, I, I often get the impression that people think that like veganic agriculture is really niche and only a few people are doing it. And it's like, you know, Ian Tolhurst and a few other mm. people. And actually, um, it's really not niche because conservation agriculture, it's a, it's a paradigm of agriculture that's based on these three principles. One is basically minimum soil disturbance. So that means like no tilling. So no tilling of the soil. Um, mm covering the soil um, uh, as much as possible um, and diversified cropping systems. Um, there is no default use of manure or grazing or any of those things. And one of the chapters in the book that um, I wrote with my father was actually looking at what happens in natural systems. I mean, in natural, like a forest, you know, nobody mm. comes and plows the soil in a forest. The earthworms do that. Um, you know, nobody is um you know coming and putting manure on it's like the biodiversity that's in in there is kind of you know there's there's a whole ecology and and it's it's mm. it, we we compared what happens in a natural system to all of these types of new paradigms of agriculture that are being put forward agroecology organic agriculture so-called regenerative um agriculture with you know mob grazing and then conservation agriculture um and so conservation agriculture doesn't use animals by default like the others do. Um, and that's not from an ideo mm. ideological perspective. It's like that's what na nature doesn't uh, use animals in that way. Um, so I, I want and, you know, currently conservation agriculture covers 15 percent of agricultural land. So it's not this niche thing that we think veganic agriculture is. It's... Um, you know, it's not all organic, but it can be done organically. And there's lots of farmers doing it organically. So that was one thing that I that felt very important as a kind of basis of a new paradigm of agriculture. But then, um, and obviously the veganic part um, in terms of uh, not using other animals, but also agroecology. Um, wanting So agroecology is a paradigm of agriculture, but um, more recently with a capital A, it's also included... Um, the sort of social movement piece and sort of uh, challenging the corporate food regime. Um, and, that, you know, there's the Via, Camp mm. the Via Campesina, which is a big peasant, um, a global peasant movement um, that's really pushing this forward. Um, but it's the idea that we can't just have a paradigm of agriculture without the context of, you know, uh, the, the structural changes that are needed, um, the, a, a paradigm of political economy that's needed that's different to sort of corporate capitalism. Um, so there's ideas as well in sort of agroecology with a capital A that include things like food sovereignty as opposed to food security. It's about decentralizing power in the food system. Um, you know, when we talk about food security, it doesn't we don't it doesn't include where that food is coming from, who has the you know, who is deciding um, who has the power in that food system. So food sovereignty is, is very much a political concept. Um, Localisation is included as well in food sovereignty. And often in the vegan movement, we talk about, well, we don't need, you know, one of the myths is that, you know, if we buy local, we'd be more environmentally friendly. And we know that that's not true. Um, but there are other reasons, mm. I think, that localisation is important. Um, and part of that is, you know, globalisation the corporate food regime is so much a part of the problem and that localization is a systemic response to um you know globalization and you know part of the issue i feel that's at the root cause of many of the the, the crises that we're facing is that we're so disconnected from the impacts of of our choices of our lifestyles of you know if if we were if we if 
the impact of one of our choices was polluting the river that we depended on in our community, we wouldn't we would we mm. would think much more deeply about you know how we wanted to set up our our, our lives. And I think um, so. Localization for me is a really important piece, not necessarily for the environmental, the carbon footprint aspect, but as a different vision of how we want to live um, in a much more connected way to place, to community, um, and to the impacts of our choices. So, yeah, it, a lot of things coming together in that one kind of framework of inclusive <laughs> responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible amount of things, actually. <laughs> and um, just, <laughs> just, just think, my, my, my very naive sort of brain uh, says when I when I hear that, I, I love the, the, all of those, those kind of concepts. And especially like when I think about localization and us seeing directly the impact and, you know, I've heard of regenerative agriculture uh, talked about a lot, but from, from those invested in animal mm. agriculture. So to hear kind of the mm. other side of that coin and to hear, you know, 15% uh, of uh, sort of that, that kind of veganic stat or the, um, the, the, that there is that kind of um, restorative, uh, non-animal yeah. using agriculture in existence is 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 exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but there's a lot. The thing that keeps jumping into mind is there's a lot of people who have to give up a lot of power for us yeah. to be able to get to that yeah. kind of world. And 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 so I, I'm sort of that. It's getting there that seems like the real huge yeah. step the real kind of yeah. chasm is like we have the kind of we may have we may even get to the place where we've got like the will of uh, uh, many people we have got the kind of the tools and the the ability to be able to make these changes you know we know what needs to mm-hmm. be done uh, in terms of whether it's rewilding etc cetera, etc cetera, veganic agriculture but it's that step in the middle of like how do you get like a, a, a giant political system uh, backed by a lot of money to give up yeah. its power? Um, and I guess that's where we're left with. Oh, I mean, my, my I'm left with revolution. Well, <laughs> I have no other answer right now. There's not many options. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right, and it's like I think we know enough about where we're at and where we need to be. It's like how do we get there? And I think. Um, power is the you know you've that that is the central theme it's like you know power is concentrated in the handful of you know corporations powerful billionaires um and and whoever Mm. else that you know you and I don't really know about what's happening behind the scenes Mm. um and you know this is this kind of just brings me back to the importance of social movements because we don't have you know the money and the power in that sort of sense our power lies in in our numbers and in collective action and i think again coming back to one of your original questions about veganism and kind of um you know focusing on sort of individual change if if we that doesn't change the power structures in any way how we you know mm. change you know what we put in our shopping baskets um, and what the, the the only hope that I see is collective action, which is so hard because I I sort of feel like we've forgotten how to collaborate to work together, and we're so we're we're so kind of in our you know these sort of atomized individual kind of lives and um, but you know part of the sort of root issue I think one of the root 
causes of what's going wrong in the world is our lack of connection to each other, to ourselves, to other animals, to the environment. Um, and so I, I see this all as very connected. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just back to social movements, I'm afraid. That's kind of the only way that I can see. Um, and, and, you know, people don't give up power. We have to demand it. We have to take it. Um, and one of the things that I that really excites me about what Animal Think Tank is doing um, is, well, it, it, it's I, th I think that we as individuals don't feel very powerful, um, and it is through mm. getting involved in these types of social movements that help us to reclaim our power and our agency and to step into it because we are powerful beyond measure. We just don't realise it, and when we come together, we can be so powerful. It's just how do we do that? Um, and how can we overcome the apathy and, um, you know, the kind of the despair of like, well, nothing I do is going to make a difference. Yeah, maybe nothing you do as an individual is going to make a difference, but coming together with others through collective action. Um, well, it's our only hope. And really, I think that's the only way things have really transformatively changed in the past. It's through mass social movements. Um, and I think this is a transgenerational struggle. We're only going to get so far in this generation. And it's, you know, it's a story that's longer than any of our lives, isn't it? Um, but we have to we have mm. to try at least, however hard it seems and however impossible it seems. Um, what other option is there? I don't see one. Couldn't agree more. On that note, how do we how do we find out more about uh, Animal Think oh, Tank? Okay, so well, everything you need to know is on our website, animalthinktank.org.uk, um, and we are. We are expanding. We have got loads. Well, we've got quite a lot of open roles. So if people are kind of interested in um, in what we're doing and think, you know what, I could I could do this full time. I could live a life of purpose, um, and I really want to do that. Check out our roles. We also have lots of um, volunteer opportunities, um, and we've got something on our website where you can just you know sign up your interest um, and we're in the pilot phase at the moment of kind of developing our organizing approach and pilot testing our movement groups um, so uh, but in time we, uh, we envision you know movement groups all over the UK um, and we would support you to kind of to to uh, to build the autonomy and the strategic capacity to be able to run your own campaigns locally um, and if that sounds interesting to you, then sign up to our web. Uh, sorry, sign up to our newsletter and keep um, updated with where we're at because we're going to need all of us to make this work. Um, and if you want to know any more about the book, um, there's a website that we created that's much more accessible than the kind of dense academic textbook that it is. Um, and so you can check it out on <laughs> inclusiveresponsibility.earth. There's abstracts um, and chapter extracts on there, and some of the key themes and some interviews. Awesome. Leila, look, thank you so much for your time. I know just how busy you are, so I really do appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, thank you're you. so welcome. This has been really, really fun. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate your time as well. <laughs>